Age to Practice, applying educational reading in the classroom. Join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. From Page to Practice is a podcast focusing on the application of educational reading in the classroom. Each episode features one book or article, my reflections and the thoughts of my guests on its use and impact in the classroom. Some episodes may also feature an introduction from the author. Hi and welcome to episode 19, the penultimate episode of this first series of From Page to Practice. This episode is all about the craft of assessment by Michael Charles. Today we are lucky enough to have a contribution from Michael and seven readers who will give their reflections on how they've been applying their reading to their teaching practice. Before I say any more, let's hear from Michael. Hi all and welcome to this podcast. My name is Michael Childs and I'm the author of The Craft of Assessment. So why did I choose to write this book? I think fundamentally my sort of desire and ambition was to help share my 10 years experience as a teacher and provide some strategies for teachers that they could use in their classroom fundamentally to help them and support them in their own practice. I'm definitely a big advocate of being research informed and part of the process of formulating the book and reading about it was to actually find out what did the research say and there's lots of research out there as we know and sometimes it's difficult to sort of decipher and sift through that research and what's practical to inform our practice but that was one of the most enjoyable parts and then it was about sharing some strategies some real examples of everyday strategies that teachers could use and fundamentally I wanted teachers to be able to take away those strategies straight away and implement them in the classroom after reading the book. I think also part of the whole process was that I wanted to get sort of a a spotlight from different teachers around the country or across the world to share their experiences of the different elements of craft and I thought that was really important because it's it gives another sort of shine and a light through someone else's classroom through the lens of another person's classroom and that was there to really provide further sort of classroom based strategies that teachers could could employ. I think that um, overall that the whole idea of the craft of assessment is to really focus on how we as teachers can draw on the different elements of craft so condense reflect assess feed forward and target driven improvement to help pupils to make progress i think some of the key takeaways that i would hope people would take from it is that actually we need to move away from the sort of high stakes accountability sort of assessment practices that have fundamentally been sort of focused with a greater emphasis on summative over formative assessment and actually research would suggest that formative assessment practices are low threat high impact and actually summative should become more infrequent at the end of a learning journey i think another key takeaway is that we have to really work to create uh, sort of reflective and self-regulated learners and the idea that we can't expect pupils to automatically be able to condense learning when we're 
teaching them new content within the classroom or to be able to reflect on that learning, whether that be within the classroom or outside of the classroom at home. And more importantly, we, we have to really focus on supporting them in being able to become effective, reflective learners uh, at home. I think one of the other key strategies is this idea of moving away from marking and that actually we should we focus on giving pupils feedback and we're not marking the work. When we're marking the work, we're probably suggesting that's the end of the learning journey. And actually, most of the time, the marks that teachers award are fundamentally inaccurate or lack reliability. So actually, it's we should focus on giving pupils feedback to help them feed forward into the next stage of their learning journey. And that's the key part. Feedback is often saying what they've done well or what they could improve on, but doesn't necessarily help them to feed forward into the next task. And a greater emphasis, I feel, should be on that feed forward process. So those are some of the key takeaways that I would hope that people have taken from the, from the book itself. And I look forward to hearing other people's views and key takeaways and I hope that it continues to be a helpful set of strategies and approach to assessment that supports teachers beyond um, this initial period of it being released and I hope that it's a book and I feel that it is a book that teachers can dip in and out of throughout their practice. Um, Up and Coming is a new book which will focus purely on feedback and how we can really focus on those feed-forward strategies, unpicking some of those key elements of feedback within the different parts of the education phases. So that will be released in November and I'm really looking forward to sharing that book with the rest of the education community. So I hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast from people as they share their reflections on craft and I look forward to hearing people's views in the future. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thank you, Michael, for speaking about your book. I hope you enjoy hearing what today's readers have taken away and applied to their own practice. I'm really looking forward to the next one. I'm sure there's a spot on the From Page to Practice schedule ready for it. What I really like about this book is the way it's structured and displayed. The teacher spotlights are especially pleasing and link in really well with exactly what this podcast is trying to achieve. So our first reader reflection is from Jenny, who tweets at Brownlee underscore Jenny. Hi, my name's Jenny and I currently teach geography. I've just completed my NQT year and I've just completed the leadership development programme with Teach First. I initially came across the craft of assessment through adverts on Twitter and having completed the Seneca course, not fully realising at the time that it was in fact a book. Overall, the book is great. It's brought together so many things that I had seen in tweets and in blogs in one place, which has saved me lots of time. From PowerPoint top tips to the forgetting curve to feed forward, it's got everything in between. I'm briefly going to mention three sections I have found to be the most beneficial and how they have affected my practice. The first one I'm going to mention is R, reflective learners. The research The use of retrieval practice is something that I've been working on for a while. However, this has provided new strategies and new way of looking at it. When I first began retrieval practice, students were confused as to why they were looking at content from ages ago, stuff that they believed they had already learned. However, after completing the initial task, they then began to see that they hadn't learned information quite as well as what they'd thought. We then had some discussions looking at the forgetting curve and how we need to change our long-term memory in order to remember things in the future. 
We then completed the task again and the pupils were able to see that actually this does have some benefit to it and they can see the progress that they're able to make. This has then led to pupil engagement and retrieval practice increasing massively because they can see the quick benefit from it. In fact, it's there to some year eight people who's been very concerned when they've got to the end of a lesson and they've not completed any retrieval practice yet, been very concerned about they might now start forgetting the work they've covered. In this book, I particularly have liked the introduction of the Leitner system, something that I'd not particularly used before, but now feel that it will be of huge benefit, particularly with keywords. Being able to create these keywords in class, pupils can then take them home and work on them independently without much further input. This will then build up the bank of words that they've got and the understanding of these words, which hopefully will improve their long written answers and the knowledge that they have got in these particular topics. The other section that I found particularly interesting and agreed quite a lot with appeared in A, an assessment. I completely agree with what Michael Chowers mentions about formative assessment and responsive teaching on page 67. Being able to respond to the needs of a class in front of you is vital to moving the pupils forward. The five key points of Williams that is highlighted is spot on. To be able to respond to the pupils, you need to be able to quickly identify where they are in the learning. But we don't want these ways to be identified through cumbersome and heavy workload tasks. We need to be able to identify them quickly and effectively if the change in long-term memory has taken place and what we can then do. This can help us see if we need to, need to go back and reteach a concept or if the pupils are ready to move on. Seeing these in five clear and concise steps that I can then apply to my own practice has been great. When planning lessons, I'm able to see very quickly if my tasks meet these five things or if I'm adding too much information and too much work for both me and the pupils. This has come about at this moment in time due to the lack of teaching that I'm currently doing but has allowed me to focus heavily on these moments. Been able to think about the series of lessons that I'm planning, think about where can I put these hinge questions that can tell me if the pupils are ready to move on. Down the bottom of my PowerPoint slides there's now lists for particular lessons. However, what is in these lists depends on what lesson you're looking at. Some of them contain the key content that pupils need to know before we can move on, whereas others contain the, contain the key questions that I want to ask the pupils to make sure that they understand it and understand the wording of how these types of questions might come at them in the future. The final section that I want to mention is in the F. However, this is through one of the spotlights. I was fascinated by what Sarah Larson mentions in the way that she uses the visualiser. Having been experimenting with one on the run-up to lockdown, it was interesting to hear how others have been able to use it and how they then involve the students. Having encouraged students to show off their work through the visualiser a couple of times, it was good to then see how I could then adapt this further by not only showing off the positive work that the pupils have completed, but then begin to think about the improvements that we could make to maybe a piece of work that's unfinished. Through getting them to discuss the improvements, I can then see how this will make benefit them when it comes to their own writing. By seeing what needs to happen in one piece of work, they'll hopefully then be able to apply this to their own. However, my biggest takeaway from the craft of assessment has come from C. Right at the beginning, when talking about different cogs and how to condense work, Michael mentions, mentions cog one. And cog one is passion. Looking at how different teachers through Twitter talk about their subject, you can see that the passion for geography is well and truly alive. 
And that is something that I want to take into my own classroom and continue to show the pupils. Through highlighting the different ways that geography can be seen throughout the world and the different ways that they can apply their own knowledge to it, I believe that overall this will improve the type of geography that they're able to learn and what they can remember. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thanks, Jenny. It's great to hear how you're applying your reading now during remote teaching and what you'll take forward to September and beyond. Next, we'll hear from Carl, who tweets at MrButcherJog. Hi, I'm Carl, or at MrButcherJog on Twitter. I'm a teacher of geography and currently head of year 10, taking my group through to year 11 next year. I'm a fifth year qualified teacher, but my ninth year in education, as I've previously worked as a mentor and an unqualified member of staff. So my biggest takeaway from Michael Charles's The Craft of Assessment is the sheer amount of strategies that can easily be applied in the classroom without having to tear up every single scheme of work from every lesson um, and start everything from scratch. For example, one of the strategies mentioned in the assessment section of the book, which our department will try to introduce um, to all key stages next year, is the online quizzing. We use this regularly during lockdown as a way of checking what students have understood from online lessons and what they may need to further improve on. The bonus of using strategies and resources such as Google Forms is that it self-marks and provides clear visuals for the teacher, which shows where the gaps in students' knowledge are and where you may need to work a little closer with the student to improve their understanding. In reflecting on the book and how it can be applied into the classroom, um, the first one is, as I mentioned, the the huge amount of ideas um, that are presented, in particular the ways in which students can take ownership of their learning in the condensed section of the book. Uh, And in our department, there's been a deep focus over the last year about how we can do this better. For example, using revision clocks and flashcards during homeworks for students to condense their class notes rather than a teacher providing knowledge organisers and spending a huge amount of time creating resources that students may not actually use um, or benefit from. The learning journeys as well, as mentioned in Michael's book, have also been really popular on Twitter since lockdown began. Our department are also looking to visually show the year 7 to year 13 pathway so that all students that walk past the geography rooms in our school will clearly see where um, lessons will take them throughout the seven-year course. Key Stage 3 will also have a separate learning journey, as will Key Stage 4 and 5. And we've taken this a little bit further. So for each individual topic that students are learning about, they'll be provided with an individualised topic journey so that they can track the lessons and the key questions that they should be able to answer by the end of each topic. One of the key focuses in the book is on feedback rather than marking. Uh, And one of the main benefits of this, obviously, to the teacher is reduced workload. Uh, But it also makes it more meaningful to students The relentless routines that Michael talks about when providing feedback and the importance of a classroom climate which promotes feedback is echoed all throughout this book and is a very, very important concept to take into account when trying to build this climate of feedback. Having had the pleasure of working with Michael for two years, we really focused on delaying the marks or the grade, which is mentioned in the book as well. 
to ensure that the focus is on the what went wells and the even better ifs or the strengths and the weaknesses rather than the number or the letter which is provided at the end of many tests which actually means very little to the students. If there's one thing that Michael taught me which is emphasised throughout this book it's this point. It's been tough for students in my new school to get their head around this concept especially when there isn't a whole school approach in place but with two years under my belt students are now starting to value the feedback process further and they're not asking sir what is my grade what is my score rather they're asking questions such as what can I do to improve what is it that I need to do better next time finally one of the takeaways from this book is the teacher spotlights which are written by a range of different teachers uh, at the ends of each chapter It really opens the door into the kind of practice which is going on around the country and around the world and shows you different ways in which teachers have been able to apply some of the concepts that Michael talks about within his book in their classroom and the impacts that it's had. What I really like about these teacher spotlights is most of the uh, spotlights are very, very honest and they've highlighted areas where they've worked really well and areas in which they still need to develop. So why should someone read The Craft of Assessment? If you want an interesting read and sometimes eye-opening, then this is the book for you. All of the concepts that Michael puts forward are supported with evidence. It's a streamlined book which will help you streamline your practice. It should and will improve student outcomes and it will make the whole learning process much more beneficial, not only just to students, but to staff and to their parents and carers listening to from page to practice join the conversation on twitter using hashtag page practice podcast thanks carl it's really helpful to hear not only what you plan to do later but importantly the impact of the changes that you've already made as a result of the techniques and strategies discussed in this book next up is danielle waldron who tweets at underscore miss waldron underscore Danielle is returning, having spoken on a couple of episodes ago on Kate Jones' retrieval practice. Hi, my name's Danielle Waldron. I am in my third year of teaching and I am a teacher of English um, at a secondary school, but I'm just moving up into further education in September. Um, So I've been doing a lot of reading um, while we've been off. And one of the books I read was The Craft of Assessment, obviously, which is what the podcast is about today. Um... And I read this right after reading uh, Retrieval Practice by Kate Jones, which there's also been an episode on. Um, And both books in conjunction with each other are really, really useful, I found, because they both talk about similar themes. But obviously, um, Michael's book in particular really goes into depth over um, the assessment of pupils in particular. And for me, one of my key takeaways was thinking about assessment not being the end point of learning which I think when you train obviously because I only trained a couple of years ago you sort of think of assessment as being the end of learning and you do it at the end of a unit and that's you know the way it is you always think about how you are assessing in the lesson but again it's at the end of the lesson at the end of your plenary um or at the end of a scheme or work um and so to sort of think about it in this new way, like Michael suggests, it really, you know, resonated with me and I sort of really reflected on my own practice over the past couple of years and almost, you know, had a bit of an aha moment. 
um especially the part where he talks about using um assessment in revision so um with lots of retrieval like recall quizzes um in the lesson you know at the start or the middle or the end whenever it can be done at any point in the lesson it doesn't just have to be reserved for the end of the lesson or the end of a unit you can do those little quizzes you can use the knowledge organizers for things like that and easily assess where the pupils are up to and just make sure it's really frequent and using that as you know like a proper assessment um and making it formative obviously rather than summative um and I really like that because I just I think to basically assess as you're revising with pupils it's a lot more practical for you and the pupils and um, so it just makes it easier and also helps with your workload really as well um, I think another point that I really liked as well was the language that he uses. Um, so, you know, let's not refer to things as assessments to pupils and as um, quizzes and or tests and things like that. Um, I really liked the way he, you know, is just honest with his pupils and it becomes a part of them. They want to learn. They want to improve on their assessments and do better and, you know, get a higher score each time and things like that. But it's not got that pressure of an actual assessment, which I think sometimes, unfortunately, it gets um caught up as being. Um, so I think I'm definitely going to make that sort of change when I'm doing um assessments in the future and, you know, using things instead like recall or retrieval um, with students and just make it a little bit more friendly and approachable for them because I think sometimes you can scare students a little bit really um I know I didn't used to like um assessments it t- turned me off to the point where if I knew we had assessments coming up I just wouldn't be in in school that week because I was just so terrified of, of coming in and doing these assessments and I think I thought of myself as, as quite a good pupil really um and even I was stressy about it to the point where I would stay try and stay off school or you know try and skip the lesson um in some way and so I don't really want to have that negative effect on my um own students um so I think that's one of the big things that I've come to reflect on in my practice and certainly when we're allowed back in classrooms that's going to be something I'm looking at as so my language that I use with the pupils around assessment um and I also think um sharing good practice as well is something that I'm gonna focus on doing because I think I'm really really good at sharing good practice when it comes to you know a lesson that I've taught that was really good or a resource that I've made and sharing it and things like that um but I don't think I ever really share when I've had a really good lesson of feedback or like whole class feedback like oh look at this or you know if loads of my pupils have done really well on a low stakes quiz um I don't really I don't really um think it necessary to to share that practice but now um I certainly will um be sharing that practice and you know saying look how well the students have reflected because that is more important than the initial sort of stuff that is the sort of stuff that we should um, be sharing is good practice uh, and I think like getting into habits more of um, as well really uh, so I think that's gonna be a little target that I sort of make for myself come September um, 
And another point as well um, that Michael made actually on Twitter um, a few days ago uh, was suggesting um, that we don't do baseline assessments or um, a summative assessment as soon as uh, pupils get back in September, obviously after this big break for the lockdown. And I think that's really important as well. Um, It needs to be like very low threat formative assessments after lockdown because again you know we need to focus on rebuilding those relationships and things like that first rather than just going straight in there with you know an assessment for them to do to see where the gaps are I think if you just do it a little bit more approachable first it just makes it more attainable for for the students and obviously for the workload of the teachers as well it sort of works for both really so it's a win-win um so they're my key takeaways from this book I would highly suggest um reading it because I've got so many notes on it like I could talk about it for ages um but yeah so I'd suggest reading this book and retrieval practice in conjunction with each other because I found it really um useful to read and really easy to sort of get through um this book having just read a retrieval practice because I felt like I really understood the sort of science behind his thinking um so it made it like a really enjoyable read actually um so yeah that's my take on the craft of assessment you're listening to from page to practice join the conversation on twitter using hashtag page practice podcast It's nice to hear Danielle talking about how her practice has moved on since her training and her key takeaways from the book, especially around the use of language. Another returning guest next, Ben Windsor, who tweets at MrClassics3. Hi everybody, this is Ben Windsor speaking. I'm a secondary uh, school history teacher on the South Coast in East Sussex and my Twitter handle is at MrClassics3. I'm going to talk a little bit about Jane, uh, Michael Charles's new work, The Craft of Assessment. I'm going to take, take you through and tell you a little bit about some of the key principles uh, that I learned about while reading this. So the word craft in Michael Charles's work is an acronym. So each letter stands for a slightly different process in teaching. So the first, the, the C in craft stands for condense knowledge. Now, one thing that I will say is that the first few sections of this book uh, are largely based on cognitive science. It has many links to uh, Kate Jones's fantastic work, uh, retrieval practice as well. A lot of these works coming through generally tend to be uh, based quite firmly in cognitive science, which is uh, obviously seeing progress all the time and informs all of our practices. So Charles starts by taking us through some of the basics of cognitive science, the idea that you start with your sensory memory and that's perceiving things through all of your five senses. Things that you pay attention to then go into your short term memory. Uh, Rehearsal, uh, repeated rehearsal will put it into your long term memory and retrieval and rehearsal form a kind of a loop between your short and long term memory. Now, a key thing that Charles notes here is not to overload uh, the information in the first instance. And he speaks about two different types of load. One of them is intrinsic load, and that is the uh, inherent complexity of the information and the extraneous load, which is the way material is presented. So obviously, as teachers, we are responsible for both of these. Now, the key thing we can do... uh, is to reduce the extraneous load, i.e. the way in which information is presented. Another type of load as well is the germane load, and that is the sort of instruction that influences the production of the schema, so the kind of instructions that we give in the class that allow the student to build up these key concepts into a workable procedure. 
Now, with all these pieces of cognitive science at work, it's important that we stick to a few principles. For instance, when we're doing our PowerPoints or our lesson materials, less is more. It sounds counterintuitive, as Charles himself states in the book, um, but less is more. And this is uh, could link in firmly with Oli Caviglioli's work on dual coding, where you could condense down verbal information and could take on a more graphical standpoint instead. And in creating a, both a verbal and a visual uh, cue, you can create two um, sort of shadows of memory and therefore allow the student to help remember a little bit better. So the condensing of the information leads on quite nicely to the R, which is the reflect. And a lot of these um, can again be linked to Kate Jones's fantastic work. So a lot of these principles um, to reflect on what you know and to condense the information that you know uh, can come down to things like producing some Cornell notes, engaging in dual coding, doing some plot clocks, memory dumps, a memory draw, which is where you try and draw a concept from memory or recreate a diagram if you're a scientist. A vocab race, reverse retrieval, um, and the retrieval ripple as well. So retrieval ripple is an ideal activity to use when pupils are considering how different factors are linked together. So for example, students are developing a knowledge schema on the causes of World War II. So this matches itself particularly well to things like history. So Charles takes through quite a few uh, practical strategies in the classroom that can be used for this reflect stage. So uh, we also have personalised checklists. So uh, how do they know what they know? Going a bit, a bit into metacognition there as well. There's a lightness system of, uh, of flashcards um, where you have three boxes. If you know what's on that flashcard, you put it into one of the boxes uh, and then you keep a working stack of ones that you're not so sure on in rotation to help uh, solidify your memory. Charles also mentions how Homework and parental engagement are also very, very key uh, in allowing students to reflect and consolidate their memory. So engaging uh, the the parents at home and setting decent homework and being very, very uh, effective in collecting and, and reinforcing them. So as we come to the A, we come to the crux of uh, Charles's book here. And the A obviously stands for assessment. Uh, he talks a little bit about how we see assessment as the be-all and end-all, um, the sort of summative assessment at the end of a unit. Whereas we need to take a step backwards from this uh, from this idea and see each assessment as a learning opportunity, not simply a tool to generate data. It can help us to create target-driven improvements, and we can use knowledge organisers to help engage the students, give them a chance to revise, use low-stakes quizzing as well um, in order to shore up their self-esteem uh, and give them uh, a kind of a boost and, and also allow them to spot the gaps in their knowledge so they can go away using independent study materials and come back stronger and better next time uh, and get a better score. Eventually in this book, Charles comes to the hot topic issue of marking and feedback. Um, and uh, Charles, I get the feeling, and many people in the teaching industry have got to the point where we think that we should move away from marking and more towards the feedback. And there's a, a generally a huge difference between the two. So marking widely regarded is, is unmanageable, highly ineffective, highly inefficient. And in a 20, 2019 teacher workload survey, uh, something to do with like 90% um, of, of teachers said that marking was a huge um, take up of their personal time. They didn't know if it was effective enough. When it came around to um, giving the students those marks, they didn't feel like it was an effective use of their time. And so perhaps we should move to feedback instead. Now, there are loads of different types of feedback you can give. One most popular going around the time and saves time and it is highly effective as well is the idea of a whole class feedback. Now I know Mrs. Humanities on Twitter has done a lot of work on this and it can help you to sort of streamline and rationalize the entire feedback process. But the idea 
is that you come up with a fixed number of, of uh, criteria that you hope the students would have would have nailed to get the full score on that particular assessment or piece of work. Um, and you can give them each a numerical code. Now, each student has uh, the cheat sheets, so all of the bits of feedback on it. And you simply write a number uh, next to their answer uh, as to the mission or, or the, the criterion you'd like them to fulfill. Essentially, what this does is it sort of almost automates and streamlines and rationalizes the whole feedback process. Another key thing as well is that we're all too keen to assign grades to pieces of work. Now, a recent um, survey has basically found that if you delay giving them a mark and give them comments in the first instance of seeing their work again, then there is a 30% boosted performance uh, on correcting that work. So perhaps if, when giving feedback in assessments, wait until the lesson after they do their feedback to give them the grade that they actually acquired. The idea of this as well is that it doesn't crush self-esteem and those who get the grade, uh, get a grade that they didn't expect or didn't want or lower than they would have liked, uh, would be less likely to take up the feedback on their work in that particular lesson. So it isn't just feedback that uh, Charles goes into in this book. He also talks about feed forward. Now, feed forward is much more uh, teacher based. So um, feed forward is the idea of uh, figuring out where the students didn't didn't uh, where they lost the most marks rather uh, and being able to alter your teaching according to those gaps in their knowledge. So going forwards, you'll be able to deliver that lesson, that substantive concept, that idea uh, more effectively next time. Or you can simply go back to reteaching that same material. All in all, I found this book to be a really, really good read. As I was reading through it, it seemed like a common sense uh, sort of handbook, really. Um, granted, a lot of these concepts are not necessarily something that, that's going to be totally new to you, but it is one of those things where it brings it back into the forefront of your mind and it reminds you of good practice uh, and some of the key cognitive science that underpins it so you can bring it into whatever you're currently planning at the time. Some key takeaways that I might take from this is that Charles, in his, in his R part of this book, uh, enumerates about 10, 11 different strategies uh, really effective in helping um, to uh, rehearse and retrieve information from the students. So it's well worth the read and implementing some of those tasks in your lesson. So some of the things I take away from this are, sim are similar to the, the key takeaways that I took away from Kate Jones's book, Retrieval Practice, is that we need to give the students the maximum number of opportunities each lesson to uh, recall, retrieve and rehearse the information that you have already taught them. And certainly the first two sections of Charles's book, these, these are the main factors. So when it comes to assessment and feedback as well, going forward in my practice, I'm not going to give grades in the lesson that I'm going to give them their feedback. Uh, I'm going to uh, make my low stakes and uh, low and no stakes testing even more thorough than it was before um, to allow for the students to gain self-esteem and spot gaps in their own knowledge. I'm also probably going to uh, have a bit more of a push on the knowledge organiser. I spent a hell of a lot of time writing them. I think they can be used in class a lot more effectively to really get those quiz scores up and those assessment scores up as well. Another key thing is that I'm going to see if I can push in my department, at least, and perhaps the whole school, to move to a more of a feedback model rather than a marking model, which is uh, at times very, uh, which is at times very demotivating for teachers, and it takes a hell of a lot of time. So this strategy uh, will help to streamline and rationalise that whole process. Uh, all in all, I would absolutely recommend this book to uh, colleagues of mine. Uh, in fact, I'm going to send out an email since I finished reading it. Who wants it next? As I did with Kate Jones's fantastic book, Retrieval Practice. Um, thank you for listening to my contribution to this podcast. Uh, I've been Ben Windsor. That is uh, at Mr. Classics 3 on Twitter. Thank you very much. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. 
It's really interesting to see that Ben has also made links back to Kate Jones' book, just like Danielle did. So that's a top tip if you've not got craft or retrieval practice on your shelf yet. Thanks, Ben, for a useful summary of what craft stands for and some of those more technical points covered in the book. I also really enjoyed the seagulls in the background towards the end. Next up is Kate Reed, who tweets at Katie A. Reed. Hello, my name's Kate Reed. I'm um, a history teacher from Bristol. Um, I've been subject lead for six years and been teaching for 11 now. Um, and I've had previous whole school um, experience leading on our coaching strategy and uh, developing our teaching and learning strategy. Um, Michael Charles's craft book was the first uh, book that I read as part of the Edgy Book Club um, and I found it a, a brilliant practical guide um, for people at all stages of their career in terms of um, thinking about why we assess the, uh, children and also um, about the practicalities of that in the classroom and what that looks like. Um, I think his kind of strategy of the condense, reflect, assess, uh, feed forward and then target driven improvements is something that everybody should be thinking about from senior leadership right down to um, student student teachers and, and teacher training courses. Um, because I think if you if we've, we've got into a situation in many schools in the country where assessment is kind of a, a measure of an accountability and a, a, a reason for driving um, things forward, rather than thinking about um, how how this is affecting the students and how we can use it as a tool for learning. And I think Michael Charles is really good at doing that within this book and and kind of making you go back to the beginnings of, of why we are um, assessing students in the first place. And if we, if we are doing it for accountability measures, um, is that really the right reason to be doing it? And is, is it the most effective way to be uh, to be doing it so um, I, I think it's made me really think about how, how I use it in the classroom but also on a whole school level about maybe revisiting and, and thinking about what, what, what we're using assessment for um, within the classroom so some of my key takeaways um, I think that the the two chapters that I got most from were the the um, the condensing and the reflection stage just because there were so many uh, practical takeaways from those chapters um one of the things that that we have a big focus on in, in my school is the uh, is the the use of deliberate practice and and uh, both both in staff training and in in students work in the classroom and just this idea of rehearsal and making sure that that students um practice something before they they are kind of set off and and allowed to sort of be, become independent we we want them to develop that skill of mastery um and I think that that's something which we've been kind of introducing the idea of I do we do you do uh to kind of develop that and it's definitely had an impact so seeing that within this uh within Michael Charles's book was really um sort of empowering and making me kind of feel that we were on the right lines with what, what I was doing in, in my own school. Um, another thing that, that I found really interesting is the section on Cornell note-taking. Um, this is something that I've only been doing over the past maybe four or five months. Um, a colleague of mine introduced me to the concept of Cornell note-taking and I've since gone and bought a, a Cornell uh, notebook and we've just been trialling it with some of our students during the lockdown teaching. So when we've had our year 10 cohorts in, um, 
part of the the fact that we've only got such a short time with them in school at the moment is that we wanted to be able to cover as much ground as possible. So to do that, there's been a lot of direct instruction and almost kind of a lecturing nature. Um, and so we've trained them in Cornell note-taking in the history department so that they are able to kind of synthesise their thoughts a little bit more. And instead of just writing down verbatim what people are talking about in front of them it's allowed them to be a lot more selective in the kind of essential bits of knowledge that they need to retain and we've seen big impact in terms of just their their confidence in uh, recalling based on on the fact that they're they're they've sort of um streamlined their note taking massively um so again that was something that i was really pleased to see within within the, the first chapter um on condensing knowledge uh because i think especially in a subject like history it's so easy to become overwhelmed with the with with knowledge because there is so much content um so that's certainly a, a sort of key takeaway for me um and additionally from that condensed chapter we've got um We've been doing a lot of work in my school around dual coding and um, the use of sort of simplifying um, images to, to help knowledge retention. Um, so uh, the, the section that, that he'd written on uh, the use of infogra infographics and uh, sort of similar icons um, again really resonated with me as a way for making sure that what we what we put in front of the students is as as sort of stripped back and clear as possible um, to give them the best opportunity of, of retaining it. And I think from the beginning, it was really clear that this book wasn't just about testing kids. It was about making sure that the, their entire kind of learning experience was was streamlined and made effective. And I found lots of sort of correlation with things like Rosenshine's principles um, and uh, Sherrington's principles in action uh, along with the learning scientists kind of theory around learning which is also heavily based in in Rosenstein's principles uh, and a lot of overlap between um, Michael Charles's book and Kate Jones's retrieval practice as well so it felt it felt really sort of secure in the fact that all of there was all this overlap of what we know to be great practice in in education at the moment um again from the the uh, from from the reflect chapter I really like the section on pa uh, space pa practice. And again, this is something that we've been trying to embed within uh, my department at the moment. Um, we we have uh, two lessons a week at, at Key Stage 4 on new content. And the third lesson is um, a an application lesson. It's kind of like an exam skills, but also um, it, it's all about retrieval. It's about making sure that they, they are revisiting things that they might have studied a long time ago. Um, so we never, the, the application lesson is, is never about the content that they're studying um, during that week or even generally, not even necessarily that term. Um, so it was, it, it, I, I liked that there was this, this sort of section on space practice and, and its impact on um on learning and therefore how we could assess things and I, yesterday I was in school um, teaching uh, my year 10 group and uh, afterwards after we'd finished there was a um, one of one of my year 10 students came up to me and she was like miss I, I don't remember any of that. that that we did that so long ago and she was really sort of stressed about how um, how little she felt she remembered and it really uh, sort of linked into what Charles had written about um, the desirable difficulty and making sure that you pitch it right so kind of having that conversation with her and explaining that um, that sort of head scratching moment is exactly what we want sort of just on that knife edge between completely forgetting it but then beginning to be able to recall it from from your long-term memory was exactly um, 
the, the sort of area that we wanted her to be in. And she went away feeling a lot more confident um, having had that sort of explained to her. Um, I think one, one of the most exciting things that I found from this that I hadn't considered before, we do a lot of work around um, sort of revision strategies um, and creating um, record cards and, and revision cards and that kind of thing. Um, um, so when, when he spoke about the, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, I'm sure, but the, the Leitner system with the revision cards where he had uh, the student had five different boxes um, and once they'd been able to recall the information on that card, it moved into the, the second box, which they then would, uh, instead of testing every day, they'd test every two days or um, the third box was every five days, the fourth box was every 10 and then the fifth box was every 15 days. And this just links in perfectly to Ebbinghaus's forgetting curve um, and just made me think that this is genius. We, we do a lot of work around creating the revision cards and sort of teaching them strategies for, for, for using them at home. But we haven't spent a lot of time talking about how often that should be done um and this, the fact that they you know that that's a form of assessment of themselves and 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 um so that was a real key takeaway for me and something which i'm going to um immediately impart as we get back into school um properly during september and just a couple of pages after that that his kind of suggestion of of, of a parent review um I'll be surprised if there's many schools in the country that don't have a, an issue with parental engagement in, in some form or another um so this that idea of just a little check-in and, and a little kind of explanation of where your where your child's at and, and you know how 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 do you feel about what they've done in school this this term this month whenever that might be um I kind of felt really um really obvious as something to do but just something that I hadn't thought of myself I I don't know if other schools are the same, but very rarely do we allow students to take their books home. So this this um, is probably something that, that the parents just don't get to see very often. Um, and another way of sort of helping them to reinforce learning at home with a kind of self-peer assessment if, if the parents are kind of uh, a little bit more aware of what they're doing in our classrooms. Um, within the assess chapter... I think the biggest thing I took away from this was about the idea of not necessarily sharing scores, sharing grades, that kind of thing. I've discussed this a lot before and um, it, within my own school and we do kind of fairly regular application assessments, um, which is just like a single question, a single extended writing um, uh, at GCSE in, in the kind of exam style um we don't give them a grade for that we kind of we band it so we we kind of say that, that we've got four levels and and um so they'll get a score for out of how, whatever the question's out of and then they'll get their, their band as well um and inevitably every single lesson that you give the feedback and you do your your um uh, improvement tasks the, the first thing that happens is you get a, a sort of throng of kids going what did you get what did you get? oh I got this did you get that did you get better than me and it just becomes about a number or about the, the band that we use and then less about the actual task of, of sort of redrafting and, and recrafting and it always kind of makes me think of um, Ron Berger and Austin's Butterfly um, this sort of culture of, of you know not stopping until something's as good as it can be and that gets lost when there's a when there's a score on a page um even amongst my sort of best students um in fact in it's in a lot of cases that's where it's worse where where there's this sort of competition about what what that number was um so I, I've, I'm going to trial this with a couple of classes in, in September, I think, and just not give them scores anymore. Just give them their feedback tasks. I can retain those scores. Um, 
in terms of quizzing, it, that's not something that, that I take scores back on anyway because low stakes, we don't we we don't want the sort of retrieval, the simple retrieval tasks to have a kind of cash value, if you like. But in terms of actual assessments, we do give them back those those scores and it just struck me as why are we giving back those scores? What What is the purpose of us sharing that with um with the students if it's actually detracting away from improving in the first place and that kind of moves into his um his work around this idea of feed forward um i had a, had a brilliant nqt tutor um when i when i started um teaching and i can vividly remember him discussing that with me about around the idea of of a feed forward instead of feedback and it just seems so obvious um as a, as a term but we've kind of got stuck in this feedback loop um and we need to make sure that the students know that it's about moving them forward and it's about recrafting their um, their responses and their answers to make them as good as they can be. Um, and certainly for me, when 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 Michael Charles was talking about the um, the use of a visualizer, this is something that's kind of revolutionised my my teaching over the last maybe eighteen months. Um, and I know a lot of teachers have them in their classrooms now, but I, I wonder how many are kind of going dusty, sat on the shelves. Um, I use them for all kinds of different things, whether it's sort of sharing uh, models of, of student work. Um, when we're doing the I do section, and I, I will literally write the question with the students, um, I've kind of used them to, when we're doing um, reflection tasks and improvement tasks, um, we might take a piece of work that I've kind of anonymised and critique it together and improve it together. Um and so I think it's an incredibly powerful tool that is underutilised in a lot of classrooms, um, but is is in, so essential in kind of moving things on and helping students to realise how to make things better. Um, and I think that's a powerful thing for the students to see you writing as well. Quite often, um, if in my GCSE classes, if they're sitting an exam, I will sit it with them um, and kind of then then I've got something tangible to show them afterwards in my own handwriting to say yes yeah, it's, it's it's tough it's really hard to do this in the right amount of time so what what strategies can we employ to make this easier for everybody um it's not just sort of beating them around the head with a test that we ask them to sit at the end of it um and then finally I think in terms of the the, the sort of again helping students to move forward something that I I led on um in my school was around the um around assessment and making sure that there was this process of feeding forward with 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 um with their work but that it wasn't really onerous on on um staff workload so we um kind of piloted a couple of things and different department departments do it differently and i think that's really important as well that um a, an assessment strategy is is specific to the department as opposed to just a whole school sort of blanket approach um and what we uh, what I suggested initially is that um, using coloured dots, which again I think there's been lots of blog posts around this. Um, so I'll look at a piece of work and it won't have any. Um, I won't put any written feedback on it, but I will have maybe three or four different um, improvement tasks, and very quickly I can look at a stack of books and put a coloured sticker on there. And as soon as they come into the classroom, the next lesson it directs them to a specific task that's up on the board that will help them to improve the answer that they've done. So we use exit tickets in almost all of our lessons. Um, as a kind of a measure of whether or not that, that the key learning from that prior lesson has stuck. Um, and these this kind of sticker approach um, helps us with live marking and just just recrafting and redeveloping work that, that can be improved. Um, so I think that that kind of worked within this sort of target driven improvement, um, that, that sort of final section of the craft model. Um, 
it, it felt like it all tied together because it was a way of, of quickly establishing next steps and, and knowing that they might be different for different students and you could have like a little intervention group that you work with whilst the other students are working on um, the, the, the other sort of improvement tasks separately. Um, and really key in our school was that it, it didn't become burdensome um, and it was actually removing um, uh, sort of weight on the teacher workload by um, just removing the, the necessity to kind of write out the same comments every single time because if you're doing that the assessment's not effective um, and it's certainly not effective on on your time um, and I think you know it's such a precious commodity we need to make sure that we use our time in the classroom with the students as effectively as possible so I mean overall it was a really quick read and it was a really practical read um, it cemented a lot of what I is really good um, classroom practice which is kind of supported by cognitive um, science as well um, and there were so many different suggestions for things that you could do that would allow you to make a subject specific assessment policy within your own schools um, that I, I feel like it's a must read for as many people as possible um, from like I said for, at the beginning from from sort of right up at the top down to every person that's training to be a teacher because it will just make you a little bit more reflective about why you're using assessment and how to make it most effective for both the student and for you in moving them forward. So I highly recommend it um, and I'll definitely be dipping back into it over time. There's this, I've put so many post-it notes and highlighter all over it that um, I think it's going to become a little bit of a Bible moving forward. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. A shout out to Edu Book Club there from Kate, which of course was what prompted me to pick this book for From Page to Practice in the first place. Thanks Kate for emphasising the practical application to the book and showing what you've done in school yourself. A really thorough contribution. We have another returning contributor now, Lizanna, who previously spoke on the Charter College Impact episode. She tweets at LO underscore edu for all. Hello colleagues, my name is Lizana Oberholzer. I'm a senior lecturer at the University of East London. And my role there is to program lead on the MA in leadership and education, as well as then teach on the MA in education. I have the good fortune to work with classroom practitioners and school leaders to think really carefully about how we can develop teachers practice to help children to learn best and I am always interested in books that reflect clearly on how we can help teachers to grow and develop but also how it will translate into then those learning spaces for children. The Craft of Assessment is one of those books that I feel really can make a big difference in your practice because it challenges you to review what you're already doing and to think very carefully about how it really helps children to learn. It explores a wide range of academic debates and educational debates, considering the effectiveness of feedback, thinking clearly and carefully about how questioning needs to be deployed and designed, as well as then retrieval practice, which is a very um, important issue to consider especially if you think about um, how to review previous learning how to help children to translate their learning into their own practice and also then how to continue to build on those strong foundations you've laid in your classroom so all in all a very detailed but very slim read 
Um, it's quite nuanced, to be honest. And what it does do well is, is it really provides you with um, clear practical advice, clear practical examples. The author draws beautifully on his own practice as a geographer, but he also has moments where he puts the spotlight on other colleagues in different subjects and disciplines to demonstrate how similar concepts can translate into different subjects to help learners to learn, which I think is, is really important to do because very often when you do have those principles outlined and linked to a specific subject colleagues might say but it might not work in my subject but he clearly tries to demonstrate how it works for everyone and and in most contexts so for me this is really a, a, a very um important take on assessment and the author makes the point that um Assessment needs to be considered with the lens of learning. And one of the quotes that really resonates with me is the quote from Fulbright, who says that if the purpose for, for, for learning is to score on a test, we've lost sight of the real reason for learning. And the whole book makes the case that assessment is not just for, for outcomes and, and numerical outcomes for learners, but it is in fact very much linked to the importance of learning and how can we help children to learn. Um, the author also refers back to um, an inaugural speech by Professor Robert Coe, who talks about determining whether pupils learn um, and how do we evaluate and establish that learning. And in this speech, he makes the point then that it is really difficult to establish whether learners learn because learning is happening in the mind, which raises lots of questions for us as educators and as teachers in terms of what is the purpose of assessment and how can we use assessment to help children to learn. And of course, inevitably, the, the book then takes us on the journey to think about assessment design, questioning, feedback, um, retrieval practice, and it, it really unpacks and explores how we can do things better and differently. And also then to challenge ourselves in relation to our own current practice and how we can improve that. Um, I think for me, it really, really highlights again the importance of assessment having to be embedded all the way through the lesson um, as it highlights again the importance of learning intentions and of course then that continuous feedback cycle that we that we get through our questioning and through our practices and tasks that we set learners so that we can gauge where they are so that we can make the learning relevant appropriate and meet the needs of the class we work with um, the, the book also aptly then pulls this all together in the final chapter where it then talks about the importance of establishing a culture for learning where colleagues as well as learners focus on learning and that learning is at the heart of what we do with every child in mind. Um, for me, overall, the, the strong focus on the, the importance of assessment to help with learning is refreshing and exciting. And as I've said before, the fact that the book is so strongly underpinned by carefully researched theoretical practice um, makes it all the more exciting to read. And those valuable spotlight points provided by colleagues gives it a, a, a real insightful angle 
to help colleagues to see how this can be used. So for me, a really exciting read, very insightful, very interesting, but highly relevant, um, practical, but um, nuanced and underpinned by good research and research informed. And um, I would love to um, encourage my students and also my own um, immediate sphere of colleagues I work with to have a look at this book as well to, to help them to refine their practice as it certainly helps me to um, review and revisit some of the things I do to again just um, have a think about how I would want to make sure I cement learning and also then develop my students' reflections on learning as well. So definitely a book to pick up um, and add to your summer reading list and I am sure that you will get an awful lot of mileage out of it when you come back to your teaching in the autumn term or any time of the year in fact um, as it will provide you with great examples and great ideas as well to embed in your own practice. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. And today's final contribution comes from Zoe Steer, who tweets at Z underscore Steer. Hi, my name's Zoe and I'm a science teacher and I'm currently finishing my first year as the head of biology at a secondary school in Oxford. I really enjoyed Michael's book for many reasons and particularly that it provides lots of great examples and easy takeaway classroom strategies covering many aspects of teaching and assessment. I am currently focusing on refining our department assessment format and I feel that Michael's book has really enabled me to think carefully about the why and the how of assessment. From the introduction, I knew this book was really going to resonate with me as Michael outlines his key ingredients for lesson planning. For instance, things like teaching to the top, questioning, modelling excellence, retrieval practice and many other strategies, all of which I also believe are fundamental in facilitating successful learning. This book is, is cleverly crafted to enable you to dip in and out of different sections um, covering things from condensing knowledge to um, feeding forward, target-driven improvements. There are tons of examples of, of how you can approach this and really useful strategies that you can take away and very easily implement into your own classroom practice. Um, so you can really quickly pick it up and you can find useful strategies that are relevant to a wide variety of particular focuses surrounding learning and assessment. Um, I'm just going to pick out a few key things that I took from some of the chapters in the book and talk about maybe how they have influenced or are going to influence my own practice. Um, so from the section on condensing knowledge, um, in this section, Michael explores many methods for presenting, encoding and condensing knowledge. And as, as many studies now have shown that strategies such as reading, highlighting and rereading, which, which students really like to do, actually have little to no effect on improving memory and retention. Um, and so in this section, Michael talks about um, kind of four cogs to expert explanation and one of these is rehearsing explanations. Now, this is something that I have found particularly useful recently, um, and since we've been home 
kind of teaching, teaching from home, um, in that I have been recording a lot of videos using my visualizer and sending them to students to learn from. And the student feedback from this has been really great. And students have commented on how they can learn at their own pace, they can pause the video, um, they can rewatch it. Um, and so it's really useful in that sense. But I think also, really importantly, it has been really useful um, for me in reflecting on my own practice and the clarity of my explanations. And so whilst it is definitely very embarrassing having to listen to my own voice back when I rewatch my videos, it has really shown me um, how I can improve the clarity and the quality of my explanations, how I can potentially change some of the language I use and really refine the way in which I explain concepts to students. Um, so it is undoubtedly an extremely valuable tool for improving my own practice. Um, at the end of this first kind of section, Michael then provides details of many concrete and easy to implement methods for supporting students with condensing um, and, and strengthening long-term memory. And I, I think that's kind of what is so useful about this book is that at, every, at the end of every chapter, there is a, a kind of a section focusing on a variety of strategies that you can actually just implement quite readily um, for each of these kind of key themes. Um, another thing that really stood out to me when Michael was looking at reflective learners was the importance of using space retrieval practice, which is, is very well backed by educational research now. Um, and the fact that we should try to probably use this with low or no stakes um, involved and Michael talks about how this can lead to increased confidence and reduce student anxiety and, and this is something I've continually witnessed since embedding space retrieval practice into my own teaching in, in the last couple of years and students are kind of increasing in confidence and, and they are giving questions a go more readily just because they know there is no grade or mark attached really to um, you know it's not a formal test of any sort. Um, and so, again, lots of really useful strategies provided in this book um, for improving space retrieval practice. And I look forward to trying the new ones that are mentioned, um, hopefully, when we're back in the classroom in September. The other thing I just want to mention um, as well about this is from the chapter focusing on assessment. And this was the one that I found most interesting and kind of relevant to my current departmental goals. Um, and Michael raises lots of interesting and really critical points about the design and purpose of assessment. And I really liked the importance that he placed on um, the idea that assessment should be cumulative. And I think for my subject particularly, this will be incredibly useful. And I'm going to implement this going forward um, in terms of how it will improve the synoptic understanding that students have of biology. Um, and the fact that, you know, I, I do need them to try to draw links between the different um, topics that they've learned and kind of really create and kind of um, maintain a, a good synoptic understanding of, of the subject as a whole. In this section, there's also a really great spotlight provided by um, 
Dawn Cox, and she talks about the use of multiple choice questions for formative assessment and how um, they use them to, to solely inform the teacher and to kind of enable them to act on any identified weaknesses. And I think um, what she explains here about how they include a I don't know option and they, they strongly discourage students from guessing, I think is, is really crucial in terms of how we can best um, attempt to actually utilise multiple choice questions within assessment. Um, so there are tons of key um, strategies presented in this book that are extremely useful. Um, there are many other things that are included as well, and there's lots of um, discussion about feed-forward strategies, target-driven improvement, um, coaching as well, and, and that's something that ties in quite nicely with the idea of filming your own explanations to try and imp improve their clarity, is that kind of coaching with colleagues is, is a critical um kind of and crucial way in which we can attempt to improve our practice by rehearsing and kind of role-playing um, scenarios with a colleague when attempting a new strategy before actually utilising it in the classroom in front of students. And this is something that I've had the chance to do at previous schools and, and, and found it extremely useful. Um, so if I had to summarise the most useful thing about this book, I think it is the sheer volume and wealth of of concrete, readily utilisable strategies that Michael shares on, on everything from retrieval to feedback and feed forward. Um, with the help of the numerous Spotlight contributors, um, Michael presents so many useful discussion points and big ideas surrounding the craft of assessment. And since reading this book, I've not only been inspired to try new ways of encouraging retrieval and condensing, but I've also completely rethought my approach to end-of-topic style progress assessments. Um, so far, I've, I've got as far as formulating my why do we do assessment, but I'm now sort of ready to explore some of the ideas presented in this book to improve how um, I conduct um, assessments. So I would highly recommend this book for anyone interested in considering and exploring how we encourage successful learning and the purpose of assessment. Um, thank you to Bex for allowing me to come on the podcast and, and thank you also for listening. I do hope you read the book and I hope you enjoy it and find it as useful as I have. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. As ever, a huge thank you goes to Michael and all of the readers that have made this episode possible. There's now only one more episode left of the year, and that will be on the Women Ed 10% Braver book. This episode is likely to hit your podcast apps a few days earlier than usual, so keep an eye out. Then I'll be taking August off of the podcast and returning in September with a new schedule, beginning with Sarah Mullins' What They Didn't Teach Me on My PGCE. So if you have reflections to share on either of these two books, then let me know. I'll be needing thoughts on 10% Braver by the 22nd of July. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to From Page to Practice. Don't forget to join in the conversation using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. Alternatively, to suggest a book or article or volunteer to contribute to an episode, visit learninglinguist.co.uk forward slash pagepracticepodcast. Thanks go to Kevin McLeod of incomtech.com for use of the tracks Cheery Monday and Fuzzball Parade, which are licensed under Creative Commons.